0: this maybe maybe you're like wow i've kind of been in church for a while or whatnot or i've been in and out of church or something and and this is a little bit different of a themed you know christmas themed deal here so what's 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 going on so as we as as this the year we are looking at the characteristics of god and 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 during this time what i wanted to do was take a look at uh the characteristic of god that 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 allows him to be able to prophesy the future and in particular, his son who's, who was coming. and the, the, the son that we celebrate, Jesus, and celebrate his birth and everything. And so, as, uh, as, as fleshing this out and talking with the creative team, and, 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 and it kind of ended up this, this murder mystery sort of theme. And then we're combining it with Christmas and the whole prophecies of Christ and, 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 and what's, what's coming, what's coming. Because we all like to know the future. We all want to know the future. As Americans, we're kind of obsessed with the future. How many of you, yeah, I want to see hands. How many of you, when you get a novel, when you get that murder mystery, you read the last chapter. Come on now, come on now. Anybody, anybody, anybody? Nobody? Nathan, Na- one honest person, one honest person of the bunch. I read the last chapter. I don't read novels, so it doesn't really matter. So Nicole calls me boring because I'm just reading, what is it, fiction, nonfiction, whatever is the, yeah, nonfiction and stuff, you know, about leadership and ministry and stuff. She's like, ah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're like, you're boring i am i acknowledge that uh i'm much cooler on stage than i am in real life but so um that wasn't supposed to be funny so we we, we came up with this series because we all like to know the future and we all like, like to know we like the predictions you know like like we don't just watch the football game we watch the three hours before the football game just to get the expert, just to hear the expert say that they predict that my team is going to win, even though they really don't know what they're talking about. If an expert gets to where they predict the, the, the outcome of a 50-50 coin flip, 50% of the time, we call them an expert. And if any of you were able to do that, I would call you my bookie. If you were able to figure out half of the time which team was going to win and if they were going to cover the point spread or not, that's what I would call you. And we're just, we just love it when when, when these experts are able to predict the future 50% of the time. And you know what? We, we spend our money based on a prediction of the future. How much will this product change my life? See, I do this, I do this, I do this. I won't spend money on something if I can't envision it changing my life in the future. Yesterday, I've been dealing with this this mucus crud for actually all of November. And so I'm like, ah, I gotta do something about this. And so I went and I bought generic Mucinex because I'm not gonna spend a whole bunch of money on something that might not work, right? You do the same thing. We want to know what the future holds. We will spend money to make our future better. We will spend time just to get somebody that will that will predict our team to win. And really a meaningless game. All games are meaningless, and I watch them, but they're they're meaningless. But when it comes to God he doesn't predict the future he doesn't predict the future maybe you're like hold on a second time out i mean what was the, i mean i've been around church enough i mean that whole section of prophecy isn't that god predicting the future no if god predicted the future he'd be wrong some of the time wouldn't he because our prognosticators are wrong most of the time if God predicted the future he'd be wrong this series isn't about God predicting the future this series about God knowing the future and telling us in vivid detail because if he was able to predict the future or if he predicted the future he would be wrong some of the time you ever thought about that with the prophecy it's not him predicting it's him knowing Here, uh, blow your mind moment. All right, all right. It blows my mind, so it'll blow your mind. God not just knows the future, but He controls it. But 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 but. He also is in the future. He is all all time, at all times. He is now. He's 1,500 years from now. He's 1,500 years back. He He is not bound by time and space. Some of you are like, move on. You're going to have gray matter everywhere. But if we didn't have a God we couldn't understand, or if we didn't have a God that didn't blow our minds, we wouldn't have a God. So this series is about him telling us in vivid detail about his son because his ability to tell us the future shines greatest when he's telling us about his son. And he started that way back in Genesis. When he's talking to the snake, the serpent, that just deceived Adam and Eve into into sinning against God, here is what he told the serpent, Genesis 3.15. And I will cause hostility between you, the serpent, Satan, and the woman. There's going to be this friction consistently against you and the woman, you and her offspring, that, that, that her children for all generations, there will be this friction for always against you two. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You will get a bite in on his heel, on the offspring's heel. You will get your bite in, but, 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 there'll be an offspring that will squish your head, that will kill you, that will kill sin, that will kill death, that will kill all the effects of sin. So from Genesis 3.15 on we are waiting for the one who is going to defeat satan who is going to defeat sin who's going to defeat death who's going to defeat the effects of sin we're waiting for the one who's going to defeat all of that and so now then we see adam and eve have two children cain and abel We're like who is this the offspring like abel he's a good guy but he's dead so he's not the one and cain He's not a good guy, so he's not the one. He was snake bitten. Then we see Noah, oh, a good guy. And then after the flood thing, he was drunk and naked in the tent. If you're drunk and naked in the tent, you're not the one in multiple ways. Then Abraham, he had his flaws. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they all had their flaws. And we're like, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one. And where we are in Genesis, as we've tried through Genesis, and that's where we are with Joseph, and ending with Joseph, we're like, not the one. But the old, whole Old Testament is really the backdrop to that is God going, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one. Keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. And as the Old Testament keeps unfolding, he keeps giving us in more and more and more vivid detail about the one that's going to come. And to lay all the cards out on the table, we, we think that's Jesus. As Christians, we think that's Jesus. But, but, but maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you've been skeptical. Maybe you're wondering. Did Jesus know he was the one? Because there's, there's, there's some to say that's that's nice, Christians, that you think that Jesus is the one, but you forgot to tell Jesus. He didn't know he was the one. You forgot to tell Jesus. So 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 is there evidence that we can point to that Jesus was the one? But beyond that, that Jesus knew he was the one? Because what good is the one if he didn't know if he was the one? What good is that? That's not any good if he was the accidental one. That's boring. You don't get married because they're the accidental one. You get married because they're the one. Is there any evidence? We're going to go to Luke chapter 4 to, to, to look at this. And, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out that Luke chapter 4, we're, we're, we're at the beginning of the story especially especially when we realize that luke chapter 1 and luke chapter 2 is about his birth and about his young childhood so luke chapter 3 is about his baptism luke chapter 4 is about his uh, the beginning part is about his his temptation in the in the in the wilderness and he is just starting out in ministry. It's going to be Luke chapter, chapter 4, starting in verse 16. He, he was just starting out in, 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 in ministry. Then Jesus is returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. That is important. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. I mean, Jesus went viral before viral before viral. I mean, everybody is like, hashtag Jesus, hashtag he did another miracle, hashtag he's teaching again, hashtag he's amazing. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook. They're taking fine pictures of him. He's on YouTube. He's everywhere. People are spreading the news about this one who's coming, that's doing all these miracles and teaching this stuff. He taught regularly in their synagogues, and synagogues were were Jewish outposts. They realized that as Jews, they couldn't, as they spread out and moved to other regions, they couldn't always come to Jerusalem week in and week out. And so they they planted these Jewish outposts all throughout the region in order for Jews to come week in and week out to, to have a service, to worship God. That's what synagogues were, basically, a local Jewish church, as oxymoronic as that sounds, and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went home, he visited mama. We don't know if daddy was, was still alive or not, or what was, what was up with Joseph at, the, at this point in time. He went, as usual, to the synagogue. When you were a young adult, Jesus was 30 at this time, which they considered to be a young adult. When you were a young adult and you went home, fellas, what was the first thing mama said? You coming to church with me on Sunday? Same thing happened to Jesus. Jesus knows what you're going to do. And then what was Jesus' reply, probably? Mom, you know I'm the son of God. Come on, what do you think I'm going to do? You know? Jesus went regularly to the synagogue. Side note, a little bit of side note. Things man had taken over. What God had written out in the Old Testament, the system was broken, broken beyond what God intended it to be. It was imperfect, but Jesus still showed up week in and week out. He showed up regularly. Like I said last week, it's kind of become in vogue to kind of knock on the church and then leave the church because it's broken. It's not perfect. News flash, church, this church isn't perfect. It might have been before you showed up here, but you showed up here. So it's definitely not perfect now. And I showed up here, and it's definitely not perfect now. So what are we supposed to do about it? He stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus participated. He helped to bring it back to where it was supposed to be. And technically, I mean, as we see the story fleshed out, he's the one that brought it back to where it was supposed to be. Look, if something's not perfect and you see it, look, I see all kinds of stuff that's not perfect here. But it takes every one of us to work together to, to, to progress this thing. If you see something that's bothering you, that's burdening you, maybe that's God telling you do something about it. That's why we have the phrase, vote with your feet, not with your hands. See, any of us can vote about something that's not perfect by raising our hand that's easy It's way easy what about voting with our feet and actually doing something about it to bring about change Jesus showed up regularly and he participated the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him they didn't have the Bible in book format they certainly certainly didn't have it in tablet format Or at least, you know, this tablet format. And they'd gone past the stone tablet format. I mean, they'd advanced, you know, past that. They wrote it down in scrolls. And Isaiah was the second longest book of the Bible. So Jesus is handed the book of Isaiah, or the scroll of Isaiah... And, and, and he rolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. All right? We know Isaiah is having 66 chapters. But when Isaiah wrote Isaiah, he just wrote it straight out. He didn't put chapter breaks in there. He didn't put the verses in there. You know, one, two, three. He didn't put any of that in there. That came centuries after Jesus. And so Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah to go find a specific scripture. 66, we know of is 66 chapters long. He goes to find the 61st chapter of Isaiah. How long would that take? Plus, there's not chapter breaks, so he had to search for it. I know most of you would be sitting here if I did that. Most of you'd be sitting here going, "When does bears open?" <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. You'd be thinking that. And so Jesus is scrolling through and scrolling through and scrolling through and go, went to find Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Here's what it says. We're going to come back to it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives and be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. And that, that, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He reads this. This is known as a messianic prophecy. A little bit about prophecy is this. It's like a mountain range. You see the first one, and then you see the second mountain. For you, it would be the first and the second. But you don't know the distance between the two. Prophecy had, had an immediate fulfillment, a fulfillment to Isaiah. We'll talk about what that fulfillment was in just a moment. And then a f- further back fulfillment that was going to happen in the future. And most people, and the scholars and the Jews of the day, believed that the first fulfillment was the fulfillment of Jerusalem, Coming back to be a city and Israel becoming a nation again. And the second fulfillment was messianic in nature. The one is talking about the one who was going to come. And so Jesus reads this scripture. He rolled up the scroll, I mean, 61 chapters again, he rolled it back up, and everybody's just sitting there watching him, handed it back to the attendant. And sat down, all eyes in the synagogue, looked at him intently. They were just like, they're on the edge of the seats. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? What's going on? And I, I think, I think, maybe it's just me, but I think he sat down, scanned the crowd again, just to milk the moment. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled. This very day, I'm the one, I know that I'm the one you see it living out before you right here and right now. Chapter number four. This is at the beginning of the story. Jesus' PR, uh, you know, PR agent is back in the back of the room going, oh no, this isn't what we talked about. We wanted to keep people in suspense. And here he is. He just said. So he's like, he's, he's on his phone now. He's typing out a press release. He's trying to figure out the damage control and spin control and all that. And Jesus is like, I'm the one. I know the, I know that I'm the one. And the people, the people, the people were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But but as it sank in, as it sank in, this is what they also said. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, isn't this the carpenter's son? The dude made me a table two years ago. It's a nice table, by the way. It's cool, strong, sturdy. I mean, good grief. He grew up with my kid. He grew up with me. I babysat jo- Jesus, I saw him naked, right? That's like the demarcation of, of somebody famous. I grew up at Ridgecrest and a lot of people went to, went to Ridgecrest from Kickapoo and, 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 and you know people were just like, I babysat Brad Pitt, I saw him naked, like as if that was cool. I mean, everybody's seen him naked now. I mean, but people were like, I knew this, this is a dude that grew up with my son. Like, you're the one? What? And now Jesus, pre-R agent's like, okay, okay, we can deal with this. People are still confused. He just kind of teased it out a little bit and people don't get it and stuff. Okay, it's a good time to stop talking now. Then he said, that would be Jesus. He doesn't stop talking. You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown. Like those you did in Capernaum. Basically, prove yourself. Prove yourself. Give us reason to believe in you. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Then heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, Assyrian. And you're like, what does Elijah and Elisha have to do with this story? That's a good question. Because Jesus had this... This knack, this knack of being able to bring up something that is on the topic, but off the topic. To leave people going, what are you talking about? But they got it, they got it, they got it. We'll see that in a minute. But Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. You want me to do something, so therefore you can have faith. He said, but remember back, remember the stories of Elijah and Elisha. The reason why he, they went to foreign people in order to do these miracles is because these foreign people had more faith than Israel did in God. And Jesus is telling them, look, 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 I do more miracles here. The reason why I don't is you don't have faith in me. He went to his hometown, he went to the religious elite and walked into their church service and said, you don't have faith in me in God. Anybody want to walk into another church here in Republic and look at them and go, you don't have faith in God and see what happens? When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Other translations said filled with wrath. Wrath. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him off the cliff. Luke chapter four, and some of you are like, haven't heard this story, but I know this isn't how it ends. Jesus so knew who he was that he intentionally ticked people off over it. Over it. Jesus knew he was the one. So if we wonder if he was the one or not, or if he knew he was the one or not, he believed he was. Not only did he say it, but he went so far as to getting people ticked off over it. So ticked off that they were want they went from a church service to pushing the man off the cliff. Some of you have been in those church services before, but uh... You can edit that out, Phil. <laughs> Jesus knew. Let's see, this is a nice story. We can laugh about the story. And it's an interesting story. I like to bring out these stories because you're like, I didn't know that people wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. But it's just facts. It's just trivial pursuit. Like The question we don't we need to be asking, isn't did Jesus know he was the one? Although that's a good question. There's another question we need to be asking with that. What did he know? If he knew he was the one, what what did he know about being the one? And for that, we're going to go to Isaiah 61, the, the scripture that he quoted, to see what it means that he's the one. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. See, it was important that Luke said that the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus because in Isaiah 61 it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke is making this connection. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free or will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. The scripture is telling us what will happen when the one shows up who, is, who has a spirit on him and who is anointed by God. What will happen? what will happen is that all the effects of sin will be reversed. He says that that I will preach or I'll tell the good news to the poor. Now, a lot of people will, will want to make this over a poverty issue. Now, poverty is certainly an effect of sin. However, God isn't intending here literal things that are occurring. He is saying those that are poor in spirit, as the Beatitudes put it. Those who know that they are spiritually poor, that this one is going to come and preach good news to those who are spiritually poor. they essentially really saying that those who know they don't deserve God, that's who this one is going to come to. The religious elite that have it all figured out and have life all figured out and believe they have God all figured out, That's not who this one is going to come to. It's the the ones who don't have it all figured out. Who are spiritually poor and know it. See, what Jesus knew is that he was the God for the rest of us. See, religion makes a God for those that have it all figured out, have it all put together. But God, all throughout the scriptures, make it clear that he is the God for the rest of us. The God who don't have it all figured out, that are spiritually poor. And so maybe you've been struggling with the whole church thing, and they have it all figured out, and they think that they're holier than thou. I'm sorry that you've kind of had that picture, because that's not what's intended. It's intended to be that we are spiritually bankrupt in and of ourselves, but the good news is, the good news is is that there's one who has come to make us spiritually rich, spiritually wealthy, to comfort the brokenhearted. See, doesn't sin break our heart, our own sin? And the sin of others breaks our heart? And really... Sin breaking our heart is, is natural and it's good so far that it, it allows us to have, have a realization that, that we cannot fix ourselves because we are really, really, really good at trying to fix physical consequences of sin. Really good at that. That's why we try and use birth control. to fix the physical consequences of sin. I can do this, and I don't have to worry about the physical consequences of sin. But what's going to protect your heart? See, we lie in order to prevent the physical consequences of sin. But what is going to protect our heart? Because there's nothing that can cover our heart. We can cover body parts. There's nothing that's going to cover our heart. Sin leaves us broken-hearted no matter how much we try to cover up the physical consequences. And how do we fix a broken heart? Well, it's only through the one who come who came to fix broken hearts. That's it. And to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Jesus' coming wasn't about you know, giving amnesty to people physically. Sin leaves us prisoners. Jesus' coming is about freeing the prisoners of war that comes from sin. To tell those who mourn at the time of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to the, to the year of jubilee. The year of jubilee we won't go in, all into it. They were supposed to do it every 50 years. And really it was, it was to celebrate the releasing of captives. The releasing of debt. The releasing of the effects of sin in our life. To spend a year of releasing all of this and celebrating God. Don't work. Just spend full year celebrating God and praising God. Like, wow, that sounds nice, right? And Jesus' coming was supposed to, it was, go, was the, the, the news that Jubilee was here. So did Jesus do these things? Preach good news to the poor? Heal broken hearts. I mean, funerals hated Jesus. Jesus didn't show up to a funeral he didn't wreck. But what more of a place than a funeral that you have broken hearts because of the effect of sin? I mean, even a natural death is caused by sin. Why? We weren't supposed to die. It was only through the introduction of sin into our lives that we expire. And funerals got nervous when Jesus showed up. Because he was the one who healed broken hearts. And when the lady that was caught in adultery laid there in front of Jesus, she'd tell you he's the one that heals broken hearts. I'm setting captives free. Who's the one that allowed us to be set free from the slavery of sin? Who's the one? Faith in Jesus allows us to see that happen in our life. To all who mourn in Israel, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. See, there's going to be a transformation that occurred. Instead of living in ashes, we are going to be given a crown as a prince or as a princess in his kingdom. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. Here's here's a conversation I want Phil to have every so often here. Somebody come up to Phil and say, hey, hey, Phil, can can we talk about the music? And which at that point, here's what Phil's heart will do. It'll go to the floor. Because he's had that conversation that started that way before. he said, and and, and you end up saying, hey, 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 look, 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 look. You know, we're supposed to be festive in praise. The band needs to kick it up a little bit more. (laughs) The band needs to kick it up. I feel like you guys are inhibiting us being festive in our praise. You guys got to kick it up a little bit more. Let's rock it a little bit more because you're inhibiting us from being Festive. Scripture says, right? Festive praise instead of despair? I told you that Jesus kind of wrecks funeral services. So why do church services look more like funeral services than festive praise services? Why do we do things the way we do? Festive praise instead of despair. And we don't we don't let the band play because they enjoy playing. And let the band play so that we can have festive praise and not just sit there and be like, (whistles) festive praise. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. We'll get back to that. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. We'll get back to that. But the effect, that what, what, what Jesus knew was that this transformation was going to occur if we had faith in him. And see, he didn't do signs so that people would have faith. He did signs when people had faith. Big difference. And when people have faith, transformation but how exactly does that transformation occur skipping ahead a little bit in isaiah 61 61 verse 10 i am overwhelmed with joy in the lord my god there it is again right overwhelmed with joy we pray so that we can be overwhelmed with joy we who are overwhelmed with joy can just express it in the only way we know how to sing loudly and have fun in it joy for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. This idea, this concept that righteousness is clothing started in Genesis 3 when God gave Adam and Eve some leather and sent them on their way. And then it concludes in Revelation when it's talking about the clothing that Jesus, God gives to his bride. And so it's no wonder that the next thing, I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels, talking about the transformation that occurs. Fellas, you've been to that wedding. You sit down. You go, this guy's a goomer. This groom's a goomer. I know what weddings are supposed to do to you and all, but he's too goomery. I mean, a tux ain't going to help him. And then he walks out, and you're like, you're floored. Like, man, goomer groom has become groovy groom. Look, he looks good. And then you go to the reception, and, 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 and he takes off his tux and he starts dancing, and you're going, uh, he's back. Goomer groom, he's back. Ladies, 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 you've been to that wedding, right? Like, you sat down, you're like, this is gonna be a bad bride. I know what they say about weddings, I know what they say about wedding dresses, but ain't nothing's gonna help her. You, you don't say it, right? But you're <laughs> thinking it. You might put it on Facebook because, you know, whatever you say on Facebook, you don't really say, but you, you, but then what? She, oh, doors open, she comes out, and you're like, oh. Bad bride has turned into beautiful bride. And then you go to reception and she changes clothes and she starts dancing you're like, oh, bad bride. Bad bride. (coughs) What God's saying is that we're all goomer groom and we're all bad bride. And that through his clothing, his righteousness, he's transforming us into groovy groom and beautiful bride. So it's no wonder that one of the keystone parables of Jesus was combining the concept of a wedding feast and clothing as righteousness. He wants to transform us by giving and putting on his righteousness over us because it is our unrighteousness that causes all this pain to begin with. And he transforms us by giving us his righteousness. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations, of the world. We'll get to that in a moment. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. We're going into the winter months and, 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 and we're going to be you know, plants going to hibernation and get frozen and, and all, all that. and, and, and the other. But, but we're some are already looking forward to spring, right? To, to see that first growth come out of the ground. How special that is and, and how that feels. That's what Isaiah is saying is it's, it's like in our life. When, when we take on God's righteousness, it's, it's like the first flowers that come up in the spring and what that feels like and how much we enjoy that. That's what happens in our life. But it's not just for us. It's not just for us. Did we catch it in there? The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Let's talk about justice for a moment. A lot of people would read this, a lot of Christians would read this and go, Yeah, God, let him have it. Let him have your justice. Context. What's the context of this entire passage? Let him have it or grace? The justice that God wants the world to see is the justice of Jesus taking the sin upon himself and giving us his righteousness. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Jesus taking on our sin and releasing his righteousness to us. How did Jesus say this? Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? That concept wasn't new to Jesus. He was trying to get this through their thick skulls all the way through the Old Testament. How does he do that now? How does he make his justice known to the nations of the world? Through his people who he's already taken the sin of them on himself and given his righteousness to. So mission 2014, well, it's about raising money, and about raising money, it's about raising money so that the nations can see this justice, can see this occur. It's about having a building where people who are struggling, they know they could come to because there's something that happens there. Seeing people stream to that building, not because the building is special, the building is merely a tool in which his people use in order to let his justice be known to the nations. And the nations aren't about other countries, the nations start outside of this door, whomever is not God's people. Taking vision trips is about, is about going and discovering a place that God wants us to engage long term and serve long term to end up planting churches there in order to make the nations aware of God's justice. Because it's his righteousness, as we go back to the previous set of verses, it's, his, it's, it's, it's their righteousness, but it's his that he's given us to possess. It's their righteousness that makes us strong as an oak. See, sin makes us weak, right? Be we able to blow over by any little wind. But it's God's righteousness that makes us strong. But strong like an oak, what? For God's Glory, those of you that have been with us, glory is making the invisible visible. The invisible God visible to people who don't see Him or don't care to see Him. We are strong not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those who can't see Him to be able to see Him. He said communities, cities will be rebuilt. Sure, it had direct uh, uh implications of Jerusalem being rebuilt, but it's much bigger than that, that the gospel rebuilds cities. See, the problem with republic, the problem with being in suburbia Bible Belt is everybody is hidden. Everybody hides behind this perfect facade, right? Everybody's perfect. Everybody's perfect. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's great. Yee! And it's easy for me to hide behind that as well. We have to come out of hiding and be buzzwords real, but where we're broken, about how we've broken ourselves, about how we feel trapped. Now there's a part of me that feels trapped right now, of going, what what is in the future? How are we going to get there? Can I get us there? Can we get there? What's going to happen? What... fears of being broken and we all have our own fears and our own brokenness and our own own jail time if you will but in order to rebuild cities we 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 have to be able to get ourselves and other people Out of hiding. To rebuild people financially. To rebuild people relationally. To rebuild people uh, in their soul. To rebuild families. To rebuild this city. So that we can end up saying and singing, We built this city. On God's own son. I know that was the best I could do. I'm sorry. but <laughs> So that we can say we had a part in helping God, being God's co-laborers, as, as Paul put it, in rebuilding republic, in rebuilding cities in America, in rebuilding a city somewhere around the world when God sends us there. That's what Mission 2014 is really all about, is is about being a people who wants to rebuild cities, rebuild lives, rebuild families, and having the money, sitting and waiting so that we can be prepared for Him to move. This series is tough for me. Because it could be just about, well, God gave us this prophecy. Here's how Jesus fulfilled it. Have fun. Enjoy your bears. See ya. What good is that that you can win Bible trivial pursuit? Woohoo! I filled out all my pies. Yay! It's no good. Unless that prophecy actually transforms our life i don't know maybe for one or two of you i don't know maybe maybe you said i've never gotten out of the, uh, the, the ash heap i went out i went out i've never accepted christ i've never i've never put faith in christ i've i've i've, I've never known that this was what this is all about and we have our reflection time i'll be in the back shelly will be in the back I, I encourage you to come talk to one of us. That way we can help you find the God who wants to clothe you in His splendor. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've settled that, but it's all been about heaven. It's all been about the future. This isn't talking about heaven, is it? This is talking about right now. How He wants to transform our lives right now? Maybe you're like, man, I settled that, but I've stayed in the ash heap. I need prayer. I need help getting out of the ash heap. Come talk to one of us. For everybody. For everybody. Here's your assignment. If you choose to accept it. Festive praise. Like Phil, let's rock it. Come on now, festive praise. I want to praise God because he has taken me out of the ash heap and put on me a crown. I want to praise God. Jesus knew he was the anointed one. Jesus knew he was the God for the rest of us. He knew that. He is the God for the rest of us so that he can transform all of us. Let's pray. and Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you are the God of the rest of us. You, you are the one who, who, who comes for those who, who don't have it all together, who, 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 don't, who know they don't know you well enough. That you keep moving in our lives in order for us to see that. Lord, I don't know what you're doing and working and saying in people's hearts right this moment, but I pray, Lord, that people can get out of the ash heap right here and right now. That whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, we're asking you to pick me up again. and Put my crown back on me. Put your robe back on me. Make me strong. Again, rebuild my city. But put in us a heart of festive praise, wanting to celebrate you and the transformation you're taking us through. Lord, I pray that you just work in our hearts, right here and right now, so that by the end of this service, we are simply rejoicing in you. To your name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. First song is, is, is reflective so that, so that you can do business with God and how he's speaking to you. And, 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 and if you need to confess something, you can do that. And, 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 but as God washes his righteousness over you, that that transforms from a time of mourning into a time of festive praise.